0: Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, hey there, City View. We are in part five of our series, Waiting for When. We've been looking at the life of King David and navigating those waiting seasons when we're waiting for when God is going to open the door and we'll be able to step into this future we've been dreaming about. And last week, Pastor Joel did an incredible job of talking about the fact that there's a right way to wait and a wrong way to wait. And we saw how David spared the life of Saul, even though he had an opportunity to kill him. And David was saying to himself, I want the throne, like I want what God has for me, but not like this. And it was just an incredible moment where we see David choose the long road over the shortcut, where he chose the hard right over the easy wrong. And the reality is that's super inspirational but man, is it hard to actually live out. Because the, the truth is, is that we're all so desperate for when to happen. That many times we're, we're pushing too hard. We slip into waiting recklessly rather than waiting actively. We, we try to take control and, and we start to lose ourselves in some of those moments. And somewhere along the way, we get to a place where good is not good enough. Where God's blessings are nice, but uh, it should be more. I I thought they would be more than this. This isn't enough. And so today we're going to talk about when it's never enough. When it's never enough. And the reality is, as you look at the screen and the notes, too often we equate quality with quantity. In other words, we think the only way for it to be great, the only way for it to be quality is for it to be more. And we get caught up in this mentality of just one more. Just just one more will, will make me happier. It'll make me more fulfilled. It will connect me with my purpose. It will be that thing that I'm looking for. Just one more. Just, just one more drink. One more bite. One more business meeting. One more project. One more credit card swipe. One more joke with the cute reception. It's Just one more will be enough. But the truth is, as you and I know, one more rarely leads to the value we hope it would. One more rarely leads us to feeling fulfilled. It just makes us hungrier for more. We end up struggling with, with flirting with these lines that we've drawn in the sand. These lines that we've drawn in our lives because we're we're trying to be a good follower of Jesus. And we're trying to be a good spouse. We're trying to... to draw these lines in our families and in and these lines and, and just being a person of integrity and and those lines are there but you and i have this bad habit of testing how close to the line we can actually get out of this desire for more this more to, to fill that hole that's in our hearts and we assume that as long as we don't cross the line then it's, it's okay i mean come on danny like What I'm doing is not all that bad. Do you know what Bob is doing right now? Right? If it's not illegal, then it must be okay. If it's not immoral, then it must be acceptable. Before we know it, we're testing the limits of the lines drawn in our lives in pursuit of more. Why? Because in the waiting, it never feels like we can have enough. Reality is... Lauren and I, we, we face these lines in the sand in our home on a regular basis. And it's not just with the kids because we already understand, like having an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, it, it's just gonna constantly be pushing the limits. It's never enough, right? It's never enough time with friends. You've been here for six hours. I just want one more hour more, right? Like it's never enough. It's never enough episodes of Bluey. It's never enough dessert. It's never enough of anything that they get. And, and it's just, it's so annoying. And we have this conversation with our girls on a regular basis. Like, you do understand that it's never enough for you. And you make us feel like we're doing all this stuff and it's just never enough and you don't care. And maybe that's guilting our children who can't hold that. But you know, sometimes you just got to say the words. Maybe don't do that. We're working on it, right? Like, we're not trying to guilt them, but it's the reality. It's like, it's never enough. But the truth is, they get it from us. They get it from, from us. Why do I say that? I actually feel really bad for Lauren. And the reason why I feel bad is because she's married to me and in regular times of the year, I just I just wake up and I, I just wanna go on this like health kick and this, this, this thing and I, I just start cutting things out and, and all of a sudden just one day on a Monday, cause it's always on a Monday, I'm not eating sugar for a month. What about on date nights? No, no sugar. Okay, I'm gonna do 75 hard. I'm gonna do intermittent fasting. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do shakes only for breakfast. No, 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 I'm gonna do shakes only for dinner. I'm not gonna drink water. I'm gonna drink two gallons of water a day. I'm gonna, and it's just, it's just overwhelming. And somewhere in this journey, whenever these, these little kicks come on, she's always so generous. Okay, baby, that's fine, we can do it. But somewhere along the way, she gets tired of it, and she starts to become a bad influence. She starts to say things like, baby, baby, is it really such a big deal if you, like, skip doing it today? Like, I really just want some chocolate cake. It's date night. I can't eat it if you're not going to eat it, because I'm not going to eat it in front of you. Can we please just eat chocolate cake tonight? Just skip the no sugar thing just for one night, right? She starts, she becomes this bad influence. She, she starts to get annoyed with me because it's like, Hey baby, we need to leave in 35 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'll be right back and go into the gym. She's like, what? I'm like, I can work out for 25 minutes. I can take a two minute shower. I can be ready. And we'll be out the door, ready to go. And I'm like in the car, I'm ready. I did it, but I'm still pouring sweat, putting the AC on full blast. And she's just like, you're, you're ridiculous. Right, or or she'll switch into like trying to appease my ego, and she's like, "Baby, you're so disciplined. You're like the most disciplined person I've ever seen." I'm like, "Oh, baby." She's like, "So, because of that, can we just skip the foolishness tonight? Can we can we eat what we want to eat? Can we do what we need to do? Like, you're making it complicated, and I feel so bad for her because it's just like it's just random." And she has no and she she has to change her meal plans around it and she's she's trying to be considerate, but I'm just a lot. And so I have to ask myself, sometimes, hey Danny, when is enough enough? Like when is it finally enough? When are you gonna stop with the foolishness? But my problem is that if if I don't have some kind of challenge, I'm going to lose out to my arch nemesis sugar every single time. I'll just wait, I'll bake cookies. Every day, I'll eat starburst until my jaw is sore. Is sore. And it's, it's like, what are we doing? This week, I, I baked a cherry and mixed berry pie. I don't even like pie. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna eat it because I made it. Like, when is enough? Enough. And the truth is for you, maybe you need to ask yourself, when is it enough financially? Right. Like, when is it enough relationally? Like, when is it enough for you to to stop pulling on that relationship or stop demanding this from that relationship? When when is it enough professionally? Like how many promotions, how many business meetings, how many business trips? How many? When is it enough? When is it enough physically? We have to remind ourselves that quality is not directly connected to quantity. And as we'll see in David's life, he learned that lesson a really, really hard way. But I wanna pause in this part of the story of of David, because I just wanna ask you and, and just give you a second to reflect on this. Have you ever realized how you know so many stories about David's life, but many of you don't know the epic story of when David finally became king. Do you remember the epic story? It's a trick question. Because reality is the story is not all that epic. It's actually pretty sad. In the moment that David finally gets out of his waiting, when David is finally stepping to the throne, the leadership in Israel was so torn and so divided and so angry about it that they actually started to kill each other. So How do we go from David, the great and mighty warrior of Israel, David, the one that Saul is jealous of because the people love him so much. How do we go to that, from that, to I would rather kill my own blood than allow David to be my king? What happened? Let's jump into the story and find out together. In 1 Samuel 26, Saul is back at it again. This is after the story where, where David spared his life. And, and in, in chapter 26, we see Saul is going back on his promises. He's still trying to kill David. And David yet again has an opportunity to spare his life, and he does it. And the next morning he wakes up and he, he goes to the other side of the valley and he goes. Yo, Saul, will you chill out? This is the second time that I could have killed you in the night and I didn't kill you. Would you please just stop? And so Saul's response. You can tell he was he was psycho. Saul's response is, Oh shoot, man, I did it again. My bad. I, I tried to kill you again, didn't I? I just went crazy. I just have these moments and you know what, David? You know what, Big D? You're going to do amazing things. God's going to use you. David's like, leave me alone. <laughs> Just like, go away. And so David, out of fear, after all this time, after all this running, after, after it feels like he's going backwards, away from what God has called him to do, David finally gets to that point of weakness where he allows fear to overtake him. And he says this in 1 Samuel 27, 1. David thought to himself, this is David un- unveiling what was going on in his heart. One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing that I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hands. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. Fear leads David to the land of Israel's sworn enemy. The same enemy that David defeated, the same enemy whose champion he killed, Goliath, the same people who were mocking God. David says, You know what I'm going to do? I'm I'm so tired of running. I'm so afraid of what Saul is going to do. I'm just going to go spend time with the enemy. Because I'd rather be with them than here running for my life in Israel. And the truth is, David crosses the line out of fear of the what ifs. What if Saul finally catches up? What if it's me laying in that cave and Saul doesn't have a heart of integrity and he, he finally takes his revenge? What if everything can go? And this is where so many of us live. Our lives are consumed with the what ifs. And we let the fear of what if take control in our lives and we begin to do things that we would not normally do. All of a sudden, we're so wrapped up in our what ifs that we start to project our fears onto other people. We start to try to make them feel the fear that we feel. We start to, to, to approach everything with expecting the absolute worst. And that critical spirit, that cynicism takes root in our lives that we talked about a couple weeks ago. This fear overwhelms us. And then we end up starting to put pain and loss into a situation that doesn't even have it yet. Because that space in our heart where hope was supposed to live is now filled with cynicism and filled with fear. And so even though there's no sign that things are going to go terrible, we expect it to happen. And out of protection of ourselves, we allow fear to grip us and hold us. But we have to understand that when we're led by fear, we assume the worst rather than believing the best. We assume the absolute worst when fear has a root in our hearts. The tough part is that David begins not only to live with the Philistines, but he begins to fight for them. And David, as he starts to go to war again, like he did with Israel, guess what? He's still pretty good. And he starts winning victory after victory and, and becomes the bodyguard of one of the kings of the Philistines. It's just this crazy moment, and and slowly and subtly, this, this life of using his gifts in the wrong place for the wrong reason starts to chip away at his integrity. Starts to chip away at who he was created being before he knows it the Philistines are gathering their strengths and they're going to attack Israel again and while he may not have been the one who is going to war with Israel the Philistines were being blessed because of what David brought to the table his giftings his talents so the Philistines line up to attack Israel and it just happened at the same time that David, in, in the place where he was staying, him and all of his men, their wives and children are, are stolen by this group of people. And they, they start burning the city. They start doing all this crazy stuff. And David gets word and he and his men go to chase this enemy who had stolen his wives and, and children. And so David wasn't in the battle to go against Israel but the results of him being a part of it was still there. And the Philistines are winning. Saul and Jonathan, his friend, are in a really tough spot. First Samuel 31 says this. Now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt me and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor bearers realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his troops all died together that same day. Israel is kingless. The royal family murdered in battle. And the greatest warrior of Israel is fighting for the enemy. David, the, the hope of the kingdom is on the wrong side of the battlefield, working for the wrong team. And the hopelessness is overwhelming. When David and his men find out the next day that Saul and Jonathan were killed, they they mourned, they grieved, they wept. They, they were heartbroken. They actually end up killing the messenger who brought the news to them. This begins a journey. A violence for David that wouldn't end for decades. You see, David's grief led him, this, this overwhelming feeling led him to end up hurting the people that he was called to lead. After mourning his friend and mourning over Saul, David asked God, hey, should I go back to Israel? Should I go back to, to Judah, to the, to the kingdom? God says, yes. So he goes back, but not everyone is happy. And in the interim king goes to war with David, and David being the boss that he is, he defeats him easily. But the point is that on his way to the top, he's killing his own people to get there. It's just brutal picture, but and nowhere in he does he stop and say, Hey, listen, guys, like enough with the fighting enough with the violence enough with all that's going on. Listen, what you have to understand is God has anointed me to be King. Like before Goliath, Samuel, the prophet came and anointed me to be the next King. Like we're, we just need to obey what God has asked us to do, but instead he fights his way to the top. His decision out of fear led him to to live and fight with the enemy. His grief led him to a life of violence. And instead of being vulnerable in our own lives, just like David, we allow our ungrieved losses to, to project our pain and to diminish our influence. Because we're so caught up in what's going on within us, and we never stop to to say, "Hey, time out, what is going on this this desperation for more, this desperation to get out of the waiting season this this overwhelming fear, this overwhelming anxiety this this overwhelm." is causing me to do things that I would not normally do. It's causing me to live a life I would not want to live. This is not the picture of how I wanted things to go. David didn't picture a life where he's killing his own people to become king. But here he is. And some of you, the reason why you're still in that waiting room is because there are some ungrieved losses. There are some wounds that need to be healed deep within you. And God is trying to give you the time to to heal. He's giving you the opportunity for him to, to, to put healing on the wounds that are deep within us. There are past mistakes that are still impacting your present decisions. There's the internal battles that you think you're really good at hiding. My friend, you ain't good at it none of us are because the reality is when there's internal battles going on within us the collateral damage is on our families it's on our friends no danny i'm great at like just tucking it in there no you're not you're not i'm not none of us are and while you may not lash out at people you're protecting yourself. Your you're covering of that wound causes you to shut off from the depth and the vulnerability in the relationships that God has brought into your life. So even if you're not lashing out at people, you're still closed off and not giving them access to who you really are, not giving them access to love you for who you are. And it leads us to living a life that we never dreamed we would. But when we open the door of our hearts to God, when we open the doors of our hearts to those that we love and trust in our life, it removes the power from those things in our life. We're, we're naming those giants. But you see, in, in David's life, these small steps left unchecked led to a lifestyle and a habit of constant war, in it It eventually led him to a place where he made a horrible decision. In 2 Samuel chapters 3 through chapter 11, it's just war on top of war, battle on top of battle, death on top of death, and David is exhausted. It leads us to another key point. The fatigue in David's life, brought him to the wrong place at the wrong time the fatigue led david to be somewhere he had no business being in second samuel 11 it says this in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war david sent joab and the israelite army to fight the ammonites david was too tired to be where he should have been he was too fatigued. It was it was overwhelming. And he said, I can't do it. You guys go. I trust you. I know you can do it. This wasn't delegation. This was him shirking his responsibility as the king of Israel to be there. But he was too fatigued to do it. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and, and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind, stayed behind in Jerusalem. Even after it was done, he still didn't go. And late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, hint, hint, of Uriah the Hittite. David saw her, and he lingered. And I just wonder, did he try walking away? Like, did he did he like have that internal monologue with himself where he's like, hey, hey, David, just don't do it. Don't don't do it. You know, you've got an issue with the ladies. You know, you already got enough wives around here. Just go for a walk. Just walk around the palace. And he's saying to himself, OK, I, I'll take a walk. If she's still there, then maybe I'll talk to her. But hopefully she'll be done. And, and I just won't even have to worry about it again. So he comes around the corner and he sees her and it's like, nope still there, still naked, right? Like what was happening in David's mind in this? This, is, this was such a, a weakness for David as it was. And he had this habit of indulging and marrying women on a consistent basis because he couldn't control his passions. He was a lover and a fighter. It's interesting. But David couldn't restrain himself. Verse four says, and David sent messengers to get her. When she came to the palace, he slept with her. Listen, fear, grief, shame, fatigue, all of these things lead us to make decisions we would not normally make. It's why these things are so important for us to address in our lives. So the story goes on. A month later, she sends a messenger to to tell David, hey, babe, we having a baby, right? Things just got complicated. The stress was through the roof. This was overwhelming. He, He couldn't just get away with this because her husband was where he was supposed to be, fighting for David, fighting for his country, all the while David is stealing his wife. David comes up with this brilliant plan. I'm going to get Uriah back. I'm going to get him drunk. I'm going to make sure he's nice and frisky. And I'm going to send him home to his wife and they'll sleep together and this all be covered up. But what he didn't account for was that Uriah was a man of honor. And Uriah said, how? He, He slept outside the door. He wouldn't even go in the house. He said, how can I sleep in the arms of my wife when my brothers in arms are dying in battle? I'm not sleeping with my wife. I'm not going in the house. I need to be back with them. So David does the unthinkable. He orders Uriah to be put on the front lines of the battle. And he pulls back the rest of the army to assassinate Uriah, the man of honor who did nothing wrong. It's brutal. David, in his fatigue, abandons his responsibility. He makes a horrible decision and then he doubles down on the mistake by murdering her husband. How could he do this? And this is the important thing that you and I need to understand. When we are overwhelmed, we don't rise to the level of our principles. We fall to the level of our habits. Listen, you and I have the greatest intentions in the world. You and I have all the great things within us. We want to be the best spouse. We want to be a present and a loving parent. We want to be a trustworthy friend. We want to be a, a passionate follower of Jesus. We want to be an honest employee. We want to be a leader worth following. But when we allow fatigue and grief and fear and anxiety and shame and guilt to overwhelm us, we're unable to operate to the level of our principles. We don't operate there. We operate at the level of our habits. So when stress takes over, when fear takes root, when when overwhelm kicks the door in, and hits you right in the teeth. It isn't your principles and your values in life that are going to help you defeat it. It's your habits. It's what you do on a normal basis. So you have to ask yourself, What are your habits? You see, in the season, David's habits, it was violence. So he was violent to solve his issues. What are your habits? And the reality is, is if God has no voice in your life right now, when the storm comes, you're not going to recognize his voice. If the Holy Spirit has no, it's just an afterthought in your relationships, then it's unlikely that you're going to show the gifts of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. Those things aren't going to happen. What you're going to show is self-reliance and, and selfishness. You see, David had run from the truth for so long. and God was, he was done with it. He was bringing what was done in the dark into the light. And Nathan, the prophet of God, now after Samuel had passed away, Nathan confronts David, but he does it in a really interesting way. In 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David his story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing. But one little lamb he had bought. And he raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock, his many flock, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and having no pity. Then then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you to be king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You see, it's easy for us to get judgmental of others. We let ourselves off the hook all the time. David got fired up about this story. How dare he take the one little lamb, this poor man? Nathan goes, bro, that's you. You have all these wives. You have anything you could ever imagine. Uriah had one wife. And you took her. And then you killed him for it. For something he didn't do. God was was saying to David the same thing he's saying to us. Have I not given you enough? Have I I not given you enough? What, What more could you ask me for? I think the challenging question for all of us today is this. When will you allow God to be enough? Listen, when will you allow God to be enough for you in the waiting? When will you... Allow God to be enough for you to the point that you trust his plan, even when he changes your direction. When when will it be enough for us to let go of control and allow God to be the leader of our lives? When will it be enough? You see, David and Bathsheba, they paid a heavy price. Their sin cost them the life of Uriah. And it ended up costing them the life of the child that she was pregnant with at the time. But the beauty of God is that he never leaves us where we are. He always provides a way out. And something beautiful happens after the death of the child. Second Samuel 12 and verse 24 says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her. Apparently, they just just what he does in his grief. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and David named him Solomon and the Lord loved the child. Solomon, the future king, the wisest man on earth, the man who ends up building the temple in Israel. Blessings can be found even in spite of our mistakes. And that's what I need you to understand as we wrap up today. Even in the wake of our greatest failure, God redeems our story. Even in the wake of our greatest, most difficult seasons and decisions and mistakes and failures and bad habits and things we wish we could get rid of, in spite of all that, God is the Redeemer Our story. Listen, only humility can get you out of what pride got you in. David was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Well, obviously because he was perfect. Of course not. He was called a man after God's own heart because when God spoke, he listened. When God said, stop, he stopped. God said, go, he went. David spent his life listening for the heart of God, listening for the voice of God. He had a habit of listening to the Lord. God's not asking for perfection in your life. He's asking for your attention. Hey, God's not asking you to get it right every time. He's asking for you to come to him. Every time. You see, Saul, when he was met with God's judgment saying, hey, you're out of line, he tried to defend himself and talk his way out of it. David said, you're absolutely right. I messed up. I, I messed up. This is on me. And he owned it and God redeemed the story. The question that I have for you today is, are you ready for God to redeem your story? If that's you today and you haven't asked him to be the leader of your life, if you haven't asked Jesus to come into your heart, you have a moment right here where you can say, hey, hey Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in all this, but I've been trying to do this on my own. And I'm trusting you. I want to put my life in your hands. I want you to be the leader of my life. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he came and he died on a cross for me, that he rose from the grave, that there's a purpose and a meaning for my life and it's connected to you. It's those simple words, that simple belief, that connection to him that allows you to restart your life, to rewrite your story with him as the leader. For those of you who have made that decision, It's an opportunity for us to check ourselves and say, hey, when is God going to be enough? Like, what more does he have to do to earn our trust, to earn our faithfulness, to earn our love? What more does he need to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment that you would just meet my friends right where they are those who are maybe making that decision for the first time, God, would you just fill the room where they're sitting right now with your presence, that they would feel you so close. They would understand that you have a purpose and a plan for their lives. Jesus, for those of us who who call ourselves followers of you, man, there's so many times that we just, we ask you to do more just so we would trust you. And And it's so unfair. You are more than enough, Lord. You are more than enough and so we determine within our hearts today that what you've already done for us is more than enough so we put our hope we put our trust we put our plans we put our future we put our waiting seasons in your hands and we understand that the win that is coming will be filled with your glory and with your purpose we pray all of this in jesus name amen